This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9, good morning. You are listening to the Best of the Breakfast Grill for 2023. I'm Anwar Mabob. Today, we revisit conversations that focus on the economy. 2023 was a watershed year for the Madani government, with expectations that Dr. Sri Anwar Ibrahim, as Malaysia's 10th Prime Minister, would introduce much-needed economic policies that would revive the economy. As he inherited an economy still recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic, a ringgit reaching a five-year low against the US dollar, and an anemic capital market with the FBM KLCI down 14% in the last five years. With that, the Prime Minister unveiled the Madani economy framework in July that set the economic policy direction of the country. This was then followed by the 12th Malaysia Plan Review as well as the National Energy Transition Roadmap and the new Industrial Master Plan 2030. But the first test of the government's policymaking was the revised Budget 2023 tabled in February, followed by the more expansive Budget 2024 that was passed in November. For Budget 2024, the Prime Minister took a holistic approach not just about growing income, but also social and governance targets in line with the Madani vision he has for Malaysia. Dr Johan Mahmoud Merikan, Secretary-General of the Treasury, Ministry of Finance, shared his thoughts on this with Philip C. The Prime Minister first laid out the Economy Madani framework, which sets out a medium term. And, and it was very important for Prime Minister to also set out a very holistic um, framework. You know. it, perhaps you know, in, in the past, you'd be very familiar with the economic model. A lot of emphasis was, you know, let's get to that US GNI 15,000 yeah. per capita. You notice Prime Minister has taken an approach where it's not just about growing income, it's about competitiveness, it's about social targets, it's also about governance targets. You know. So Prime Minister set out this, you know, shall we say, a, a holistic framework of where he sees the country heading. And as you rightly pointed out, budget, uh, 2024 is really seen as, I, you use the word stepping so, but I see it as really a very credible uh, commitment to those framework that he's announced. So at least, you know, it's seeded with, you know, various uh, reforms. So in terms of whether it's fiscal reform, you've got the Fiscal uh, Responsibility Act, you talk about targeted subsidies. Um, in terms of even some of the institutional reform, we're talking about, you know, consolidation of, of, of GLCs, you know, there's even, a, you know, pr- Administration proceeding of Freedom of Information Act. There's also this key part about um, uh, empowerment and in terms of being open for business. You know, there's reforms in terms of even on immigration. You know, that's normally something that many don't want to touch with. You know, it's talking about you know visa on arrivals for you know like the Middle mm. East, China, and India. It's even talking about MM2H being relaxed. Even the implementation of this multi-tiered levy, which we've been talking a long time, as also another stepping stone towards providing. I'm not sure that's seen as a stick in in your parlance, but you know, this is where if a if an employer then employs more foreign workers, they will then be imposed a higher foreign levy. And that extra revenue, you know, we're committing to then saying that's not just to add to our coffers, but actually to be used for industry to then reinvest in automation mm. or training. Although Budget 2024 was perceived to be prudent and not an election-type budget, it did have its challenges in terms of addressing Malaysia's debt levels. If you talk about uh, debt combined with liabilities, it's already $1.5 trillion. Um, if you talk about just uh, debt to GDP, we're at 63.5%. And you know, pre-COVID, we tried to keep within a 55% statutory uh, debt limit. And we've articulated uh, in our Fiscal Responsibility Act mm-hmm. that our medium-term goal is to bring it down to below uh, 60%. But sometimes 
you know, talk about affordability of debt, it's not so much the debt to GDP, but more really in terms of your debt service uh, cover ratio. And, you know, for the longest time, even when I first joined Ministry of Finance, we've always said that we mustn't exceed 15%. And, and yeah. you know, this year alone, we've already had 15.2 and next yeah. year, project to be 16. So certainly, uh, there's a need um, to rein in uh, debt and deficits. I think for that reason, uh, we have obviously first the commitment for gradual fiscal uh, consolidation uh, from 5.6 in 2022, 5% this year, 4.3% in uh, 2024 with a commitment to below at least 3.5% in mm. 2025. So that's a commitment to a gradual reduction because we need to reach a point where your deficit is below your growth rate. That was Dr. Johan Mahmoud Merikan, Secretary General of the Treasury, Ministry of Finance. From an observer's perspective, there were compliments about the social aspect of the budget initiatives. The World Bank's lead economist for Malaysia, Dr. Apurva Sangi, compared notes with Wong Xiaoning. You know, it's worth remembering that a budget is an annual exercise mm. that supports existing policy directions that have already been put forward. So it is not the place to announce new big grand policies. So if you look at the policy directions that have been put forward by the government, under the Madani framework, what were they? So they are the, uh, the midterm review, the NIMP, the investment, uh, the industrial master plan, the NETR, etc. So put together, they pointed towards a pro-growth, pro-green, uh, pro-poor budget, which in some ways, uh, what this budget is. Now, lots of analysts have spoken about the budget, but let me just point out three underappreciated areas or aspects of the budget. Um, one is the increase in ecological fiscal transfers and the biodiversity circles. You know, Shaoning, in this region, it's Malaysia and Indonesia that are the two countries that have forests. So how, for example, Malaysia manages its forests uh, would be important, not just for Malaysia, but for the region and for the world. So that is one underappreciated aspect of the budget, I think. The second is incentivizing health prevention rather than exposed treatment. And I think that deserves a, a special mention. And the third is uh, measures to encourage more women in the in the labor force. As we know, female labor force participation in Malaysia is quite low. So, um, so, so that's good. So these are sort of three underappreciated areas. That was Dr. Apurva Sangi, lead economist for Malaysia at the World Bank. The National Energy Transition Roadmap was then unveiled in August, which outlines the country's pathway towards a low-carbon economy in line with Malaysia's target of reaching net zero emissions by 2050 at the earliest. Key to achieving this goal is by attracting foreign investment for renewable energy and low-carbon initiatives. The Economy Minister, Rafizi Ramli, spoke to Wang Xiaoning in September about the strategy behind the ambitious blueprint. I set out to figure out if we were to lead regionally, in what area should we lead? And I think by now, I hope the country and uh, understands that perhaps the best potential um, high-value, high-growth area is in energy transition. So we knew we wanted to focus on that. Mm. So what we did was that we went to the industry. We gathered all the industry players um, in April, in March and April, and um, get them to release everything that they are working on or they were planning to do. Um, so the 10 catalytic projects were not something that we pluck out of thin air. Okay. It had always been in the plan, but it was too slow and it wouldn't have reached a national scale if not for something like NETA. So mm. in that sense, I think uh, progress w will be much accelerated after this. So there is a high chance that all of them will take place um, 
and um, I will chair the steering committee to make sure that these projects take off as planned um, because that was also the weaknesses of the past. Um, you know, government ministers um, just announced something and then went off onto something else. It had to be driven uh, on a project management basis. So I think with that, I think we will be able to crystallise all these investments. So you're quite confident you'll achieve the goals, 25 billion ringgit total investments, 23,000 job opportunities. So you're going to give them specific KPI and deliverable deadlines for each respective champions because there's a... There's quite a lot of them. There's mm. GLCs like Petronas, Tanaga, mm. you've got Samdabi Property to mm. other government agencies. Mm. So have specifics already been assigned? Yes, because these are their projects. Mm. Um, as I say, if anything, uh, previous administrations basically held back okay. their uh, project implementations because there were so many regulations and indecisiveness um, and therefore they could not move. Um, paralysis. Paralysis, you know. So, um, and um, investors were um, um, not confident that this will t- take off. Um, so now that we run this as national projects through a steering committee, it will allow us to um, sort out all the hurdles in project implementation. So they have their own KPI because they need all these projects for their value creation. Take, for example, TNB. Uh, TNB has been undervalued for long, long years. Um, Ever since we started working on NETA, if you track TNB's uh, valuation and um, share price, it had been picking up. Okay. If you track... Um, um, well, some Derby property share price shot up in the last few yeah, days. Yeah, on yeah, the yeah. And, and if you look at the counters that were involved in EPCC and green energy, they, mm-hmm. they all picked up in the last two months. You know, So they need this as much as the government and the nation needs it. So it's in their best interest to run this as well. When asked whether there will be more similar policies to attract foreign direct investment, the economy minister added, NACTA is uh, the first of the many to come. What foreign investors require is the signalling and the confidence that our government is addressing the structural issues. Mm. There is not just glossy announcements. And what are the structural issues? We'll come to it when we talk about economy, Madani, yeah, in a few uh, minutes. But I, I know yeah, what you're alluding to. Yeah. So, so it's like, number one, we need a much better growth narrative. So we can give general statements like in the past, uh, but that does not convince them. Uh, NATO signals the first policy pivots uh, that is new, uh, that is concerted, and that is being pulled off in a very short time with um, everyone's commitment. So, so I think that's important to build credibility with the foreign investors to understand that this administration means business because they did pull it off. Mm-hmm. Um, that's number one. Number two, I think it is also about value creation because uh, the kind of conventional sectors that we have is just 
doesn't interest. Um, it's all economy. It's all economy. You know, I don't blame uh, fund managers because why would they put money into conventional economies, albeit you know they will get steady returns? Because it's always investments, especially in portfolios. Um, it's always about a question of growth potential. So, um, and the third one, I think, which is as important as well, um, is the ESG component. Yes. Uh, fund managers basically have very strict uh, requirement and is getting more stringent as we speak. So uh, if, if we sit on our laurels and, and consider green economy or RE compliance, which is another environmental requirement uh, and does not transform our policy approach towards value creations through sustainability, mm. um, we, we, we just... You get don't. lost. I we, mean, we, are, we get ignored, right? Yeah, we get ignored. So we got bypassed all these years. So I think at the very least, this is the first step okay. to get noticed so that after this, once we roll out the next one and the next one, uh, then at least we've been able to pitch. And rebuild credibility. Yeah. That was Economy Minister Rafizi Ramli. We'll hear more from him later in the show. The Best of the Breakfast Grill 2023 continues after these messages. When we return, we'll cover the new industrial master plan, foreign investment and the weak ringgit. BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill. Brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9, I'm Anu Mabob and you are listening to the Best of the Breakfast Grill 2023, The Economy Edition. In September, the government rolled out the new Industrial Master Plan 2030, which charts Malaysia's industrial transformation over a seven-year period with ambitious targets to grow employment by 20% while raising the median salary by 128% to 4,510 ringgit. International Trade and Industry Minister Tengku Datuk Sri Zafrul Aziz shared with Wong Xiaoning and Ong Kian Ming the key sectors that will benefit from this master plan. Uh, so there are five key sectors that we are looking at that have, uh, you know, tick many of the boxes. Uh, Which is my next question, Togozafro. Mm. Why these five sectors? I yeah. mean, some of them seem obscure to me. Mm. For example, pharmaceutical. That, mm. That's one that kind of like, are we, um, do we have a big role to play? Yes, I mean, yes. uh, is this the right sector to be in? Aeronauticals is another one. Mm. So how were they chosen? What's yeah. the justification? Uh, well, of course, the Kaming is the best person to answer that because that five sector was done during his time. <laughs> <laughs> ตัดเรื่องอ่ะเรื่องหมายถึงว่าอีกวันนั้นเรื่องอ่าอาซมินอาลีก็เป็นนายกรัฐมนตรีโอ้ยแต่แต่แต่แต่แต่แต่แต่
many of the world um, uh, leaders uh, in pharmaceuticals, including medical devices, are here uh, in Malaysia. In fact, many are in Penang. Uh, yeah, and also uh, players from India, they are here they as well. Here, yeah, also in Johor and mm-hmm. etc. Um, so it, it, it's a major contribution uh, contributed to GDP uh, as well and exports. Uh, in fact, if you know about exports, uh, 80% of Malaysia's exports are from the manufacturing sector. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, and, and contribution to the to the trade surplus is uh, very key. It's very key. Very key. We have enjoyed 40 months consecutive months of trade surplus. Touch wood that continues. In particular, a key focus is electric vehicles. Tengku Datuk Sri Zafal Aziz elaborated that the government is keen to ensure that not only is the goal more EV usage, but also developing an entire ecosystem. Yes, I think we need to democratize uh, EV, right? Uh, in mm. the sense that um, you know, it now is more focused uh, in the higher bracket, income bracket group. And you're absolutely right. And this is where I think the right EV policy has to come into play. Um, and but also importantly is the spillover uh, that it has in, to the Malaysian uh, companies, the Malaysian economy, uh, to Malaysian household income. Uh, that's the big picture. But so in the budget, there was a good announcement. I think uh, I feel that uh, you know it was an idea. But By, by a couple of industry players and my DMT yes. as well, where uh, for those uh, household income about 120,000 and below will get around 2,400 ringgit for the two wheelers for the mm. motorcycles, right? Uh, that I think will will help uh, spur. Of course, uh, we want to make sure that, like I said, talking about positive spillover, it has to be motorcycles that are made in Malaysia. I mean CKD, mm. um, uh, and we hope that more uh, industry players will come uh, into uh, this space. Um, we talk about battery swapping, etc. Okay, uh, but It is a big ecosystem, right? When yes. you talk about EV, people always say, "Oh, uh, it's about just selling motorcycles, selling cars." But it's actually you have to look at the whole ecosystem, the whole supply chain of EV. Uh, EV to me is like a, a phone on four wheels, right? <laughs> so um, there are many uh, components that are actually from our E and E sector, which has been, uh, you know, a, a, a one of our competitive advantage uh, as a nation uh, in this in, in this space. That was Tunku Datuk Sri Zafrul Aziz, Minister for International Trade and Industry. Even with Malaysia's ambitious economic plans, foreign portfolio managers have been gradually reducing their exposure to Malaysia's capital markets. In fact, their holdings on Bursa Malaysia are close to just 20%, while the FBM KLCI has ended the year on a negative note for five out of the recent six years. The Economy Minister, Rafizi Ramli, shared his thoughts with Wong Xiaoning on the proposed reforms to bring investors back to the Malaysian equity market after the FBM KLCI has fallen 14% in the last five years. Um, I think it's easier to manage our um, equity market because it's it, you know it was clear why it was not as enticing to foreign portfolio fund managers is because mm. you know we were stuck in the old economy so to speak hence why Nectar was was the first of many to come in also order to GLCs realign. Also because weren't you know Correct. performing. Yeah, and but the direction. Uh, and signalling must come from the government. Now that the government made it very clear on the energy transition and therefore green compliance is very important, mm. at least it is aligned with the foreign uh, man, uh, portfolio manager's um, requirements. So okay. I think um, as we roll out um, sectoral reform and as we push more of our counters to focus on areas that we think are aligned to the aspiration of foreign managers, uh, foreign portfolio managers' requirement, then I think we will see a steady recovery over the next three to four years. Meanwhile, 
the ringgit which saw new record lows against the Singapore dollar and the US dollar this year was also a topic of conversation with the economy minister. However, he explained that the weak ringgit is a victim of global heightened interest rates and Malaysia is not the only country experiencing this phenomenon. Countries are finding it difficult to manage its own internal um, policy rates, its inter- mm. uh, internal uh, or domestic economic policies because of the rate differentials. And because of the rate differentials alone, um, it can uh, move capitals um, rapidly on month-to-month, even week-to-week basis. So... Um, I know that this is a global problem. Yes. It is something that I think the, the, the government has to address. Um, so the next focus is really um, to see how we can work together with Bank Negara and all you know the agencies uh, and the market to see what is the best ways to manage this. But I do acknowledge that irrespective of everything else, um, the prerequisites are the same. We have to bring back the confidence. We have to give a, a, a growth, a good mm. growth narrative. And I think in, in, in due time, the next one year, you know, we, we have better confidence. But at the same time, we also have to address that so that when our fundamentals are much stronger, that should be reflected in our ringgit, which is actually very undervalued now. That was Rafizi Ramli, Minister for Economy. That caps our retrospective of interviews on the Malaysian economy in 2023. You can listen to all the conversations featured today via podcast on the BFM app or on our website, bfm.my. This has been the best of the Breakfast Grill 2023. BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.